Lord, I just love you. I thank you so much. I thank you so much that we can be here. I thank you that you have prepared our hearts to be here. I thank you that you already have it done in the heavenlies. I thank you that we can worship freely, Lord God, and we can uh, call you who you are, Lord. And so may we always walk in that grace and walk in that truth because that's who you are. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would wonderfully just take the distractions away and let us be all here. Thank you for the yummy food. Thank you for everybody that brought it. Lord, thank you for uh, just uh, being able to just bask in who you are. Let us be changed in the moment. Right now, let us hear from you. Let us uh, understand your words. You're the one who uh, teaches us. The Holy Spirit illuminates our mind, and you bring us into all truth. And so we're asking that we'd be brought into all truth. As as the Holy Spirit speaks in general, Lord, I know he takes it in particular to each person because he searches our heart and he knows what we need. And so, Lord, I need to hear from him. And, Lord, I know the women here want to hear from you, Lord. And so we are asking, Lord Jesus, that uh, you would uh, make us all here and may the distractions be far away and may we just realize that we are being changed in the power of you. And so, Lord, thanks. We, uh, we give you praise. We give you honor. We're excited about retreat, Lord. If there are ladies here that, that are, are debating, Lord Jesus, allow them to, to run to you and, and that uh, maybe an economic situation. Let them know that it's, it's covered, Lord, and that uh, you have already blessed that. And so let them not miss the blessing of what you have for them, Jesus. And so... Uh, no. uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had other names. Yeah, but, you know, I didn't know that. I, is there, yeah, that's is there a nationality thing? Or? Don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I mean, they, it, once they were brought into the, you know, emperor's area, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I know in VeggieTales, there were Shaq, Rack, and Benny. Yeah, but you know, so. have the, the <laughs> Jewish names. He's trying to make them into into his... Um, are you talking about Nebuchadnezzar? Well, no, but that's going yeah. to change, yeah. change their name. Yeah. 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 So he would, they would kind of forget their old life yeah, and just be more like his life that they were trying to make it into, and they didn't work. Yep. What else? Anything else? Chris? I found it was interesting that he served for 60 years under different emperors. Not just one emperor, not just I know. two, but four emperors. Yeah. Which is amazing to me. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, four completely different emperors, completely. And he continued to be faithful. Yeah, exactly. Anybody else? Well, when you when you are reading, you know, because we're we're finishing up with Second Peter because they were leaving as a last day Christian, and we're going to go into Daniel, which we're being which we will be taught about how to live as a persecuted Christian, and uh, which is very last day type stuff, especially if you've been reading Egypt and everything that's going on. Oh my goodness! So, so. Uh, then, then we were going into the last chapters, which, which are apocalyptic, which means there, there's more prophecy that's been uh, fulfilled in, than in any other book in the Old Testament. It's all in Daniel. Okay, so uh, it's a no wonder people are you know going to that right now. <laughs> there you go. All right, so I want you to open up to Second uh, Peter, and uh, we are we last week we. We're in 2 Peter 3, and we're finishing up, and last week we were starting in the day of the Lord, and now we're going to uh, finish in the day of the Lord uh, in 2 Peter 3. So let's just back up for a second so we understand what Peter was talking. And, and as you know, Peter, 
apostle, servant of the Lord. Apostle means he saw Christ, right? He was absolutely appointed with authority. And that, and that he then was able to write this being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And he's writing to believers. We always have to know the context. This is written to believers, okay? The believers who came to Christ at Pentecost and then scattered abroad to their countries, both First Peter and Second Peter. And so he's admonishing them and encouraging them because he will soon die. He's telling them, I'm going to be dying soon, but I want to remind you to keep on keeping on. This is how you're supposed to live. Okay, because I'll be, we knew he died before Nero ended his uh, reign in 68 AD. So he's told them about um, how to live a sure Christian life, uh, how to continue to, uh, by his divine power in Second Peter 1, uh, 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, and so down to verse 5, for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith, which is your foundation, goodness, Okay, and goodness isn't what you do. Goodness is who you are. Who you are. It is out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks, okay? So goodness isn't what you do, it's who you are, all right? And so out of your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge. Knowledge means to know intimately experiencing Christ. Not more intellectual and becoming a smarter sinner, but to know Christ. All right, Adding to your faith, which is your foundation, goodness, your goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control. Self-control is means that you have the mind of Christ. That's what that means. Self-control means, in the Greek, that you have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, Philippians 2 says, which was also, by the way, happy birthday, dear. I just saw on Facebook before I came to your birthday. Hold right. Thank you, dear. All right. So when we, uh, self-control means the mind of Christ. Mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That's self-control. To self-control, perseverance. Perseverance means what? Don't abandon your post. Excellent. Don't abandon your post. Whether you're tired, whether you're, you know, you're irritated, whether you're being persecuted, whatever's happening, you don't abandon your post. Just like Jesus didn't abandon his post, and he went... Right, right to the cross, he never abandoned his post. Don't abandon your post. That's perseverance. And a perseverance, godliness. Opposite of godliness is worldliness. Good. So you want to become more like him, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness isn't just going, oh, hi, Chris, how are you today and everything. That's not brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is this. It's loving each other for the sake of the Father. Loving each other for the sake of the Father. David had lots of wives, okay, at the point where he would have then lots of sons. They didn't necessarily love the other ones, okay, but they would love the Father, uh, they would love each other for the sake of the Father. It's the same thing we're supposed to do. That's brotherly kindness, that we love each other, not because, you know, that we're commanded to, not because we need to be obedient, not because, you know, oh, we just have to muster it up. No, we love each other because of the Father, for the sake of the Father. That's brotherly kindness, and that's why you will go and give someone, you know, water when he's extremely thirsty. You'll give them, you know, money. You'll, you'll do whatever you need to do because it's for the sake of the Father. And then lastly, brotherly kindness, love, because that love is agape love. And the agape love is sacrificial love, not expecting anything else in return. 
It's not tit for tat. It's not this, this. It's you're not expecting anything in return. And so as you participate, it says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, so he's sharing with them that you continue to do that. Go back to 2 Peter 3. Uh, uh, now because he's told them this is how you live the sure Christian life when you continue to walk that way and by the way the false teachers are now not only outside the church they're inside the church of which uh, I, I, I taught on this summer and now he said and guess what watch for the coming of the Lord because he's coming this is 2,000 years ago and he started you know the day of the or I should say when he's coming when did when did the last days begin when Jesus what ascended. When Jesus ascended, the last days began. Because that's the church age, right? The coming of the Holy Spirit could only come after Jesus left because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, right? And after he left, then the Holy Spirit came, all right? So that is is um, when the last days started. So are we more in the last days than they were in the last days? Yeah. Are we closer? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So he shares, like last week, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Wholesome thinking, right? What we're going to learn at retreat. Right thinking leads to positive emotions, leads to wise behavior, leads to fruitful consequences. Okay? That's pure thinking. That's right thinking. Where does right thinking come from? The Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? B-I-B-L-E, this is it. This is the right thinking. So he's saying, I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Okay, now, he's saying the Old Testament and the New Testament are just as clear, right? The prophet said this, the apostle said this, you know, God said it. I believe it, that settles it. Period. That's what the truth is. That's right thinking. And he wants to remind you. And, and we are to take that then and remind one another. Right? We are to remind one another always that this is the way to walk. This is the right thinking. This is the truth. Right? We are to act rightly before God. And however they react to us, it isn't our problem. Right? We're to act, we're to please him. We're not here to please anybody else. We're here to please him. I will never forget when I started teaching in 1999, mm-hmm. um, uh, one lady looked at, uh, at me and she said, but, but how are you going to, how'd she phrase it? She said, um, but Margo, how are you going to, you know, be able to translate for all of us and be able to, this, this, this? And I said, quite frankly, I'm not here to please you. I'm here to love you in Christ, but I'm here to please him. And he does all the rest. He does all the rest. And so we want to continue to remind each other, right, that this is the way to walk, that you add to your faith this and this and this and this. And then when you continue to participate in that, it will continue. You won't be unproductive. You won't be ineffective. It's the way to walk. And as you continue to keep your eyes on the prize, all those other things pass away. And so as you remind them, what happens is, down the road people will say, you know, Margot, you know, Margie, you know, Kristen, you know, Nicole, I remember when you said this to me. I remember when you came alongside. Or they'll send you encouragement or whatever. And you might not hear until you see Jesus face to face. And that's okay. 
I just got a, um, an email from someone that uh, years ago, in 2007, I met her. She would come to almost every remote that I would be at. Remotes were with the fish. I'd be at Steinhoffels. I'd be at Water Doctors. I'd be at um, wherever. There were remotes all over, okay? And so um, she would show up at every single remote. And I would see her, and I would go up to her, and she was always alone. And I introduced myself to her and shared with her. And she said, you know, I've been listening to you, and this, this. And then we started an email back and forth. And she said, you know, um, I wasn't sure where she was with Jesus. And so I'd always share, and I'd share my testimony and this, this, but she'd always show up. I'd always, she was at State Fair. We did State Fair. She was always, I'm not kidding. It's like I'd tell the kids, look for Cindy, look for Cindy. Cindy will be here somewhere, and there she'd be. Over there. And I'm like, okay, Lord, okay. And I'd come and I'd, I'd bring her a book because I, I, I knew she'd show up. She just sent this to me. Hi, Margo. Well, it appears to be that time of year again. <coughs> and seeing how I ended up finding your cell number, of which I thought I lost last year, I had all intentions of calling you tonight, but earlier today I ended up not feeling well at all. After I got to work this morning, I soon realized it was not going to be a good day and my struggles began. I had all I can do. Now, she usually only emails me once a year now to each other okay it's usually around my birthday Uh, I had all I can do to get through it and just hope I did my job well enough today that there are no repercussions for it for it as that would not look good I'm sure it's fine as I was leaving work I started to feel very weird and had that awful feeling but knew I was suddenly entering and had entered the stage of hypoglycemia a medication I'm on hides the signs and symptoms until it's too late sometimes I fixed that before I got too far and then after getting home I was just so tired I just had to lay down and ended up falling asleep This past year has been a rough one, and at one point I was so frustrated and desperate with everything, I did not want to live through another day, as it got to be too much. A lot of it had to do with chronic health issues I had been struggling with, and I felt broken in a million pieces and alone. In the meantime, I bought a car earlier this year, a 2012 Kia Forte LX, as I wanted to be more economical, and I'm keeping my 2008 Chevy Equinox. She loves cars, by the way, which I now own. This will be my winter car. My mom has been feeling not so well lately, and just like growing up when mom is always there doing things for you when you're not feeling well, in addition to all the other millions of things she does and makes it look easy, the roles are kind of reversed. I feel I have so much going on, I can't keep up or find the motivation for for many things, but knowing that everyday things can be difficult, you never realize what you have or how much you have taken for granted until you are now faced with those challenges. That's when you realize those who love you don't care about any of that. Understanding by to help you through. I then started thinking about a lot of things. And you were and have been an inspiration to me since the day I met you back in March of 2007. Maybe it was just your personal philosophy about putting it all in Jesus' hands and that you just show up for his appointments when he told you to. Or maybe deep down, there's a little bit of Margot in me. But I just don't know it yet. I just like the fact that no matter where you went or what you did, everybody you came in contact with was equally important to you, including me. I was driven back to the one thing that got me through those dark times and moments. And that's you bringing me to Jesus. And the music. Yeah, the music. At that time, Nate Sally's Whatever It Takes and Mandisa's Stronger were the winners. Just when I feel I've done all I can, I think of you, and then I go to Jesus, and I know I'm far from done. That's why you remind people. That's why you continue 
to keep on keeping on. That's why you continue to tell them the truth in grace and in love. That isn't at all. I didn't share that with you at all to do any kind of boasting because I'm only boasting about Jesus Christ in me because that would not be me. And so this lady, of which I hardly even know, uh, Kleenex, of which I hardly even know, you know, isn't, and, and now she writes to me and shares with me and then she says at the end, by the way, please thank your mom, Mrs. Lance, for uh, bringing you into the world and, and, bring, and bringing you to Jesus. I'm like, you know, you guys, that's why Peter reminded us to never forget, to continue on, because there are a lot of Cindy's in the world. There could be a Cindy sitting in here right now. There's a lot of Cindy's in the world, and we are to continue to absolutely keep on and share with them that they're loved. That's you participating in the divine nature as the Holy Spirit leads you, right? And that on top of all the faith and everything that adds on, it's the agape love. And if there's one thing that Cindy knows, is she knows she's loved. She knows she's loved. Because the Lord says, above everything, right? Put on love, right? It covers a multitude of what? Sin. It covers a multitude of sins. And so as we... Um, Go back into Second Peter three. We learned last week that there, in verse three, uh, he says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come." What's a scoffer? <coughs> a mocker, someone who does something for derision, right? To, for intent to hurt. Um, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, "Where is this coming?" He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So we walked through this last week, right? That there are scoffers. There were scoffers then, and are there scoffers now? Yeah. <laughs> you think? Were there scoffers a hundred years ago? Yeah. Will there always be scoffers? So he says, don't be surprised that there are scoffers. There will always be scoffers, okay? But that doesn't mean that you don't keep on keeping on, reminding everybody, okay? And living and living as a last day Christian. And so he tells, he told us which we studied last week, that guess what? They think that it's going to keep on keeping on like it always has because they've never seen a widespread judgment. However, there was, Jesus said in Matthew 24, a widespread judgment. He talked about the flood, right? And there was a widespread judgment. This time it's not going to be by water, but it's going to be by fire, right? That there will be a widespread judgment. Just because they haven't seen it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen, right? And Jesus says it will happen. So he goes on and says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that's where we had uh, stopped last week, where the Lord isn't slow, right? He doesn't slack concerning his promise. He, he, it's not because, you know, when we're praying and he doesn't answer, quote-unquote, the way we think he should, or in our timing or whatever, right? We can't ask him how, we can't tell him now, right? But we think he's slow. We think he's slow. And remember, we talked last week, God is outside of time. Right? He's outside of time. He is timeless. 
He created time for us when we entered you know, the world and he made the world. He created time. We are time creatures, but he is timeless. He's outside of time. And so does it matter to him whether it's a day? He said a day is like what? A thousand years. It's like a thousand years. Just like I mentioned, like we were waiting in the airport last, um, you know, when the kids were really small. You know, we were waiting an hour for the plane and the kids thought this was forever. You know, oh my goodness, this is like forever. And I'm thinking, no, we can get so much done. This is so short. Right? Whole different perspective. Do you see it? Right? And that's us. And that's us. And so... He's not, he is not slack concerning his promise, okay? He will keep his promise. He can't do anything else. He swears by himself because he's the highest thing ever, which we're going to learn in Daniel. He's the Almighty, the Sovereign, who's in control of everything, was, is, will be. And so he cannot not keep his promise, right? And so he does it, okay, without delay according to his timing. He does it without delay, according to his time. When it was his fullness of time and Mary's heart was ready, remember we talk about a readied heart, a readied heart, right? Mary's heart is ready. In God's fullness of time, it met Mary's readied heart. Jesus was born, right? Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? It, without delay, without delay. That's in his timing, in his timing. And any, any delay that we perceive from our perspective, okay, um, is due to the long-suffering of God. The long-suffering of God, okay? Long-suffering is more than patience. Long-suffering means that even though you're being prodded at, even though you're being pushed at, even though you're being nagged at, even though you're being, um, you know, um, what's, a, what's a better word? I, I'm losing the word I want. But you will continue to keep on. You will continue to keep on. You will continue to be patient. You will continue to wait. You will expectantly wait because, you know, because that's just his nature. He can't be anything else but. And then when we have the fruit of the Spirit, right, which we got when the Holy Spirit entered us upon when Jesus entered, uh, when we when we asked Jesus to forgive us of our sin, right, the Holy Spirit, we have all the fruit. Love, joy, peace, what? Patience. That patience is long-suffering. Is long-suffering. And so... And so he allows as much time, as much time as possible for everyone to repent. Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants them all to repent. And repentance means that you turn around and go the exact opposite way. That you've come to know him, okay? And so I shared with you how uh, last, last week I ended with where I, at, at one point in my life, um, the guy I had been married to, uh, you know, was uh, very abusive to me. And, and I was upset with this verse that, you know, he was waiting for all to repent because I wanted Jim to pay. And then I realized that Jesus paid it all for me and paid it all for him. And I had to run to him and repent again and ask forgiveness. And so Jesus isn't willing for anyone to perish, okay, anyone is anyone, guys. Anyone to perish, but they all should come to repentance. And now Peter is revealing here God's incredible, glorious heart. The heart of, you know, the love of God that's, in, that's encompassing. He's, he's absolutely, and he's saying that, um, that this isn't a divine decree about, about, you know, as if God is declaring that sinners, that no sinners will perish because he's, he's showing the heart of the God's, he's showing God's heart to the world, as in John three sixteen. 
right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, right? He's showing the heart, okay? And so his compassionate sorrow, even in the righteous judgment of the wicked, compassionate sorrow, even in the righteous judgment of the wicked. Because he says in Ezekiel 33, he says, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way, that's repent, turn from his way, and live. And live. I remember when God gave that to me, when I, when I had those thoughts of Jim, and I'm like, wow, Lord. You know, because, guess what? I was just as wicked. It doesn't matter the sin. It just means that you were separated from the Father God, right? And you're just as wicked. And he wants you to come to him, all right? So, he is not willing that any should perish, and as he is willing that all should come to repentance. All right? So, he's not willing that any should perish, but he's also willing that all should come to repentance. But he says, the Lord is going to come like what? A thief what? A thief in the night. Okay, has anybody ever had... Uh, any burglary or theft or anything from their home. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right. When did the thief come? When, when? While you're sleeping. While you're sleeping. When did yours come? While you're away. When did, anybody else? At night. At night while you're away? At night where you away, right. I, I had uh, a time uh, years ago when I lived in Sherwood and, um, and uh, I came home from a, an advertising, I was in the advertising agency at the time, I came home and I came upon um, a burglary going on in my condo. And I walked in from the garage. I had parked my car in the garage. I walked in the back door, and I noticed that the front door was open. And it was uh, February 14th because I was going to invite the new guy. I was just I just had met over for um, dessert, and that was Brian, my husband. And uh, and it was February 14th, and I had gone to pick and save to get some food. And I noticed that the front door was open, and we had this much snow. And I thought, oh, maybe the na- manager was working on the door, you know, kind of stuff. And as I walked in, a guy ran around from my bedroom holding my TV and he looked at me and he dropped it and he ran and another guy came in the front door with uh, uh, like a you know, like one of those plastic like laundry baskets full of frozen pizzas. And he says to me, hey, lady, would you like to buy a pizza? And see, that was their guys. That was what they were doing. They were going from place to place asking if they want to buy pizza, and then they'd stock, you know, they'd figure out your house, okay? And so, and I said, hey, not tonight, but I, because I just got some groceries here. I said, do you need some? And, uh, and he said, no, 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 and they ran out the front door. And, and so, you know, they didn't, they didn't come as a thief in the night. Okay, they came, and I confronted them. Thankfully, the police said they were armed, and thankfully, the police said that um, because they had a way out, and it didn't have to be past me, that I was that I was saved. Uh, and but very different than when he comes as a thief in the night. Okay, so are you are you following me? You guys experience that all of a sudden you come home, you wake up, it's gone. Okay, that's how the Lord's going to come. Right? It's not going to be where you've got another time and I get to go, hey, wait a minute, and you, know, you try to ready yourself. That, that's not going to happen. It's, he's going to come like a thief in the night. So that, when, so that when you awaken, you're like, whoa. Or, obviously, you're with him. Okay, so, so he says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Okay? And, and as the Lord's long-suffering 
love to us, okay, and to, to the lost, makes it seem like he's perhaps delaying his coming. The truth is, indeed, he will come. Okay, he will come. And so we can absolutely hang our hat on that, that he will come. And so, you know, when he does return, it will come at a time that will surprise many, okay? Because when they awaken, or when they come home, he's already come, okay? And the ultimate, the ultimate result of his coming will be a total transformation, Peter says, of the then-known world, of the present world, okay? So, you know, God could destroy this world again. There's plenty of water to destroy this world again with water, couldn't he? But he says in Psalm, you know, that he set the boundary. He set the boundary. He set the boundary, okay? And the water cannot go past that. When I was a little kid, I always used to, we lived on lakes all the time. We'd go camping. I was like, why doesn't the water go past here? I mean, do you ever think about that? I mean, obviously there's some little flooding that happens, everything. But the ocean, we're in Maui, and it's just like, here's this teeny, teeny little island. Right? And, and here's water all around it. And I remember thinking, wow, that's amazing. I mean, why doesn't the water just, you know? Because God set the boundary. He set the boundary. Otherwise, it would. Otherwise, it would. He's the one. All of creation knows who to thank, right? And so he's the one who set the boundary. But he's not going to unleash those boundaries like he did in the flood. Okay? He's not going to do that. He's now going to have it as fire. It will be fire. And what will happen, as we're reading, the earth will dissolve. It will dissolve. It, it says, you know how Chris Tomlin it will, says, the earth will dissolve as snow in that Amazing Grace? How, remember his song, Amazing Grace? And he goes into that little interlude that he brings um, some more verses into. My chains are gone. Yeah. I've been set free, okay? Where he says, the earth will dissolve like snow. That's from Second Peter. It will dissolve by fire, however. But we think of dissolving, right? Like snow, right? It's snow, and then it's, it starts to dissolve, okay? Um, and so he says, being that this is going to happen, last day Christians, in verses 11 through 13, he says, I want you to live in the light of the days in God's promise. So I want you to live holy. I want you to live godly living in the anticipation of the new order, of the new heaven, of the new earth, which we're going to get into when we get into Daniel. Okay? So... I want you to live excited in anticipation of the new heaven and the new earth, okay? And he says, okay, since all these things are going to be dissolved, in verse 11, that's in the Revised Standard Version, what manner of persons ought you to be? How should you live then? So, don't live as if this isn't going to happen. Live in a way that you can hardly wait that this is going to happen. In other words, you, you seek first his kingdom, right? Because his kingdom is coming. And so you should live in its righteousness and you should live a holy conduct and godliness. You shouldn't be living in a way that you want to be caught when he comes. Before I knew Jesus, I knew all about Jesus. Did anybody, anybody do that? Before you actually knew Jesus and came to know him personally and passionately, I knew all about him because we, you know, church and, and everything. And, and, and I, I remember... I remember, because I knew all about him, but I still did whatever I wanted to, I remember being in situations that I shouldn't be in. I remember being in, in, um, in um, 
in, in, in sin. I just remember being in sin. I remember, I remember waking up at night to where I shouldn't have been, all different kinds of stuff. And I remember immediately would come to my head, what if Jesus came right now? Because all I know is that I had heard that. Did I, did I internalize that? Did I believe he died for me? Did I, did I you know, no. No. Did, did I know about him? Yeah. Did I know that my mom obviously was praying or my sister or whatever? Absolutely. Because I would wake up and I'd think, what if he come tonight? What if he would come? See, he wants you to be ready. He wants to be ready. And, and believers, that doesn't just mean ready because you know him as your savior. It means ready that you're living a holy and godly life. That means that you're doing the next right thing. That's being in his will. Just do the next right thing, next right thing, next right thing. Right? And if the next right thing is asking forgiveness because you blew it, then that's the next right thing. But he wants you to be ready. He wants you to live in that godly, holy. Holy means being set apart for what? Special purpose. For his purpose. To be holy, be set apart for a special purpose. Okay, and he says, that's the manner of person that you need to be. That's how you need to live right now, okay? That you are opposite of the world and you are set apart for a special purpose so that when he comes, you are, you are not only ready, but you are at the ready all the time, okay? And so we tend to think that the world is more enduring, ladies, and will last longer than people, don't we? Don't we think that? We tend to think that the world is more enduring and it's going to last longer than people. But guess what? It's not true. Peter reminds us people will live into eternity. The earth will be gone as we know it. It will be dissolved. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 20 says, okay? But this earth is not going to be here anymore. But we, sitting right here who know Jesus, we live on. We live on. So we are to be like Jesus now so that, you know, he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all to come to know him, right? So they'll come to know him. We're like the motley crew that he has. We're it. We're it. Yes, he reveals himself in creation. Yes, he reveals himself in circumstance. Yes, he reveals himself, you know, through the word of God in prayer. He reveals himself in you. In you. And you can bring them along. Like that little Cindy. You can bring them along. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That we're living in such a way that, that we know that we are eternal souls just on loan to this earth. Right? Our home isn't here. Our home's in heaven. And I can hardly wait. But compassion draws you to the point where you want everyone to come with you. You want everyone to come with you, okay? So, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has set eternity in our heart. He has placed, He has set eternity in our heart. Therefore, we are eternal creatures. We will go on forever. So, when you look at somebody walking down the street, they're either heaven-bound or they're not. Or they're not. Does that, does that draw you to compassion? Does that, does that lead you to want to live such a holy and godly life that you share with them? I'm not, not saying that you need to walk up to them and grab them by the nap of the neck like I was my whole life when I was a little kid. You know, you're going to hell in a handbasket. That isn't what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about living such a holy and godly life that when they see you, they're like, what is it about you, Val? There's something different about you. And you're able to share. And you're able to share. You're able to bring them right to that point. Okay? And so he says, what manner of persons ought you to be? Spurgeon says this. 
The king is coming. He is coming to his throne and to his judgment. Now, a man doesn't go up to a king's door and there talk treason. And men do not sit in the king's audience chamber when they expect him every moment to enter and there speak ill of him. The king is on his way and almost here. You are at his door. He is at your door. What manner of people ought you to be? How can you sin against the one who is so close at hand? Isn't that great? How can you sin against the one that's so close at hand? And he's getting closer. And he's getting closer. And he's getting closer, right? And so we, you know, we need to be, as we're learning to retreat, an overcomer every single minute. So that when people see us, they're attracted to us because of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if we're a stench to them, that's not our problem. Right? Because it could be a stench for a little while, and then God said he too would change their mind in that. Right? So we just keep on keeping on. So how ready are you? How ready are you? Are there some things that you need to, you know, give over? Are there some things that you need to, you know, that maybe you want it, you've been nursing or whatever? Give it over. So that you can live in such a way that you are hurrying his kingdom, okay? That you're looking and hastening, the King James Version says, hastening the coming of the day of God, right? That we can actually hasten that. In other words, Peter is saying there is a way that we can hasten the Lord's return. Don't you like that? Who doesn't like that, right? Oh, please. That we can hasten the Lord's return, okay? It is remarkable to me to think that we can do things to hasten the Lord's return. Doesn't that blow your mind? The Word of God tells us that. That we can hasten His return, okay? And, and, and so it, it is by, he says, our holy conduct and godliness. So the more we are like Him, the more we are hastening Him. Because guess what? The more people are seen, and then they were able to share, and then they're coming to Christ. And, then, and they just want anybody to repent. He wants everybody to repent, not to perish, right? It's just what. The cycle is, and it starts snowballing and snowballing and snowballing and snowballing as, as we are hastening. You ever see a snowball take, take absolute root as it's going down a hill and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and going faster and faster and faster, right? That's how we can hasten by our holy conduct and godliness. We are responsible for that, ladies. Our holy conduct and godliness, okay? And we can hasten the Lord. What? As, we're, as we have holy conduct and, and godliness, we will naturally want to evangelize. By the way, evangelism doesn't mean... I'll never forget this. One lady, many, not one, many came up to me and said, Well, Margo, you know, that's you. Evangelism isn't my gift. <laughs> Hold it a minute. Hold it. Where does it say, you know, yes, there is a gifting of evangelism, okay? All right, but we are all... To evangelize. He says, go to the believers, therefore, and do what? Make disciples. What do you think that is? Right? We're evangelizing. You, one disciple makes another disciple, makes another disciple, makes another. The biggest evangelist ever, Billy Graham, right? In our time, anyway. All right? I mean, he will tell you. It's not by the fact that he stood up and shared. But yes, he was obedient to what God called him to. He said it was for who the people... Disciple to ask them to come to bring them to pray for them to this it was one by one by one by one and it always will be ladies one by one by one that's how people come to know him you might see the masses go forward at Billy Graham but they're coming one by one by one that's why he always sings just as I am without one plea because it's one by one by one and so we can hasten that because we're evangelizing by us living a holy and godly life okay and so 
And in fact, if you want to write this down, uh, in, in Romans 11, verse 25, we're not going to look it up for sake of time, Paul said that God's prophetic focus on Israel will resume when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Romans 11.25, okay? When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's meaning when they've come to repentance, okay? And so we can also, as we're leading a holy and godly life, we can also hasten his return by prayer, right? By prayer. Prayer is the work, right? It is the work. And how many times do we give up? How many times do we give up? We do. And it's right around the corner. It's right around the bend. It's right in the next, you know, through the door. And, and Jesus is going, don't give up. Don't give up. You're being changed in the throne room. Right? You're being changed with prayer. It changes you. Right? Um, it's amazing. Uh, 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 Lynette and I were talking about how we go on um, singular prayer walks uh, where we just walk for an hour and just walk, good exercise in this. But now I realize that I speak out loud as I'm, as I'm doing my hour walk kind of thing. And now I run into the same kind of people. And then I was singing yesterday as well. And this one guy who is an elderly guy sits out and he goes, I was waiting for you to come by because I like your singing. Aww. I'm like, oh, so I was able to share with him. And I was singing all the old songs then heavenly sunshine, it's just like Jesus to roll the clouds away. And I was singing and he, and so I was able to share with him. You know, but it was just between me and Jesus and then people overhear you, right? It's a good thing. They're overhearing who you are. That's a good thing is you are praying unto him. He is answering, he's changing you. And then by the way, as you're participating in the divine nature, guess what? It's pouring over on other people. It's pouring over on other people. And so, um, in Daniel 9, which we're going to look at in Daniel, but even Daniel asked for a speedy fulfillment of prophecy regarding captive Israel, and he prayed, you know, like in Revelation 22.20, even so, come Lord Jesus. Right? I'm sure you've heard that numerous times. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Right? That's to hasten his return. To hasten his return. Okay, because... The heavens will be dissolved. The very world order that is now will not exist, okay? God will genuinely make new heavens and a new earth, even as Isaiah promised in Isaiah 65, 17. All this has been prophesied and will be fulfilled. For behold, I create, God says, new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Is that wild? The former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Okay, as you now see this, it won't even come to mind. Because, you guys, when he creates the new heavens and the new earth, we will be not in sin anymore. You have to remember that. Okay, there will be no sin tug. There will be no anything. Right? We will be with him and we will reign and it will be like, whoa. Whatever. <laughs> exactly. It will be amazing. The ultimate... The ultimate whatever, right, Deb? I mean, thank you, Jesus, right? And so, and so it's a new earth where righteousness dwells. A new earth where righteousness dwells, okay? The most glorious characteristic of the new heaven and the new earth is what? It's where righteousness dwells. Okay, that means that there's no sin tug, there's nothing. Righteousness dwells. That means dwelt in. In it all, okay? And it will dwell, okay? And it is, in, in Revelation 21.1, it's a recreation of this world order that says this. When John, who is on the island of Patmos, right? Not, not like a nice island like Maui, guys. You realize this. So, you know, horrific, 
area of stone and where God allowed him to, you know, just peek into heaven, just a little bit of a curtain pulled back for him, right? Division. And, and John says this in, in Revelation 21, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Had passed away. Okay? A new earth where righteousness dwells. Okay? Then in verses 14 and 15, He's telling us then, Peter is telling us then, keep diligent. Keep diligent. Don't give up. Don't despise the long-suffering of God. You know, don't... Right? You're supposed to expectantly wait. Right? Remember the remember the incredible example that God gave me. He always talks to me through animals and dogs and things and horses and but my dogs um, expectantly wait. My one dog now expectantly waits. The other one has not waited anymore because she has died. So, but but Sadie expectantly waits. When you open the door, she expectantly waits. She can hardly wait. She's going to go on a walk, and she's sitting right there. She's like, "Yep, yeah, I know it. I know it. I'm going to go for a walk." She's expectantly waiting. It's not like. Oh, great. Yeah. When's Jesus coming? Yeah, I'm going to act like whatever I want. Right? Are you kidding me? We're supposed to act like he's at the door. Right? Right? Exactly. We're supposed to live such a ready... Not despise the long-suffering of God. Okay? We're not supposed to despise the long-suffering of God. Look at verses 14 and 15 here. So then, dear friends, remember believers, since you are looking forward to this... New heaven, new earth. Jesus coming back. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Okay, so he's telling him here in closing, as he's closing his letter, he says, look it. Look forward to these things. Be diligent in looking forward to these things, okay? Because if our heart is really set on the glory of the new heaven and earth, we will endeavor to walk godly in this earth. Right? We will endeavor to do so. He says, so, so, and what happens is, as you are endeavoring to do so, you will walk in peace with your brothers and sisters as you're endeavoring to do so. In regard to God, you're going to be spotless and blameless. Okay? Now, I know... When we're walking, spotless and blameless, does that mean that we're never going to sin? No. Okay, because some people you know, believe that holy means like you're perfect. It will never be that until we see Jesus face to face. We'll always have our old flesh, and we'll always have the Holy Spirit. Right? It's whichever one you feed, right? The bad dog, the good dog. Whichever dog you feed is what's going to win. Okay? So what he's telling you is... Feed the good duck. Feed the good duck. Feed the good duck. Keep feeding the Holy Spirit because what happens as you're doing that, you are becoming holy, more like Him. You're spotless and blameless because of Jesus, right? He took it all for you and you're becoming more like Him. And as you're becoming more like Him, then horizontally, you'll be at peace with people. Does that mean that there won't ever be any scuffles or anything like this or there isn't required forgiveness? No, it doesn't. And in fact, he says in um, Romans 12, 18 that we are supposed to be at peace as much as it is left to us. You realize that, right? You're not responsible if someone else, if you've made it right with another person, you're not responsible for that other person. Okay? You're to be at peace with them as much as it is left to us. Romans 12, 18. So that is peace. That's that peace, like in Philippians 2, which passes all in 
all human understanding because you have made it right as much as it is up to you, okay? And then he goes on and he says, look guys, the reason there is long suffering of the Lord, it means salvation. That's why. So be glad in that. Like I mentioned, I didn't come to Christ till I was 31. I'm thrilled he was long suffering. I'm thrilled he was long suffering. I'm sure you're thrilled he was long suffering, right? I mean, that's who he is and it means salvation. Because sometimes it's easy for us as Christians to resent the long-suffering of God. Because in, in, in some ways, he's delaying his coming. So then we start getting, you know, a little, you know, where is it? Where is it kind of thing. Instead of being concerned more about participating in his divine nature, adding to your faith, goodness, and knowledge, and this, right? We're concerned about where is he? You know, we become almost like, you know, crazy about looking for where he is where we're supposed to be, continuing to be ready, and then when he comes, right? We'll be with him, right? He will usher us into him, all right? That's what we're to be, all right? And so and so the, the long-suffering of the Lord leads to salvation. I looked up that word long-suffering because I, it, 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 I love the word, and it's so much more descriptive in, and in the Greek than patient is, okay? I think we over... Just like love in the Bible, there's so many different loves in that we've just trashed the word love as we use love, right? It's the same thing with long-suffering. And it says this, In our impatient, self-centered world, one quality of character has all but perished, and that's long-suffering. Similar to patience and forbearance, long-suffering is the quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation. Okay, when somebody's okay, dinging you, dinging you, dinging you, dinging you, dinging you, dinging you. Okay, whether it's your kids or someone or who else, right? That you will have self-restraint, self-restraint, the quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation. A person who is long-suffering is not quick to retaliate or promptly punish someone who is insulted, offended, or harmed him. Wow. Way bigger than patience, guys. Way, are you following me? A person who is long-suffering is not quick to retaliate or promptly punish someone who is insulted, offended, or harmed him. In other words, we will be like Stephen as he was being stoned. Yeah. Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive him, right? The, the compassionate heart of Jesus will take over. Compassionate heart of Jesus, okay? The opposite of anger is long-suffering. It is intimately associated with mercy, not getting what we deserve. Long-suffering is an attribute of God and thus a fruit of His Holy Spirit. So who's supposed to be long-suffering? We are. We are. Long-suffering. Quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation. A person who is long-suffering is not quick to retaliate or promptly punish someone who is insulted, offended, or harmed him. How are we doing in that area? Right? How are we doing that? Where we are to be... Now, the Lord, the long-suffering of the Lord is our salvation. You think he's been scoffed at ever since he created man? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but look what he's done. He's God. He's long-suffering. It means salvation. 
And then he says, I don't want anybody to perish. I want them all to come to me. That is total long-suffering, especially when most of us should have been stomped out like an ant a million times. And he says, you know what? I don't look at that. I love you. I agape love you. And I'm long-suffering. And I know your heart, and I know you know, what's going to happen, and I can see that, and I continue to not retaliate or punish someone who's insulted me offended me or harmed me it's my mercy you're not getting what you deserve don't you love mercy don't you love when that the guy the sinner oh have mercy on me Lord for I'm a sinner oh what a prayer right and God Jesus ran to him ran to him right the Pharisees like bah, 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 I've done this I've done this and, then, and the other guy is like oh have mercy on me for I'm a sinner and Jesus is like you got it you got it it's his absolute mercy. So when he says the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, okay, it's salvation for others, it's salvation for us. Right? It's salvation for us. And so we should be extremely thrilled that he is long suffering, okay? And here's what my sweet Charles says We are puzzled at the long suffering which causes so weary a delay. One of the reasons is that we have not much long-suffering ourselves. We think we do well to be angry with the rebellious. And so we prove ourselves to be more like Jonah than Jesus. Okay, let me reread that. One of the reasons is that we have not much long-suffering ourselves. We think that we do well to be angry with the rebellious. And so we prove ourselves to be more like Jonah than Jesus. Remember Jonah was angry? Right, he had to go to Nineveh. He's like, are you kidding? Look at this. Anyways, we wept more with the fig tree that died than the people coming to Jesus. Okay. A few have learned to be patient and pitiful to the ungodly, but many more are of the mind of James and John. James and John of the Bible. Who would have called fire from heaven upon those who rejected the Savior. We are such in a hurry. You know they're called the sons of thunder. You remember that, right? James and John. A little bit of a temper there, okay? So, you know, mind of, but many more of the mind of James and John who would have called fire from heaven upon those who rejected the Savior. We are in such a hurry. You know why? Because we don't trust. Because we don't trust. When you're trusting a long-suffering God, you, you know, you wait on Him. You expectantly wait on Him. But he's long-suffering, and he's outside of time, so a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day, and then that, like, mind-boggles you. Instead of just trusting him, instead of recklessly abandoning to him, saying, you know what, I'm standing on these promises, I know that this is what you say, I believe this, Lord, and you know what, that's just fine, and I'm going to expectantly wait here in, in whatever you have in this long-suffering, because I want to become more like you and less like me. Right? It's not, why, you know, It's not, how is this affecting me? It's, what can I learn through this, Lord? What can I learn through this? And he goes, oh, you can be more long-suffering, like I am, right? 
And I'm just going to quickly end with these last five minutes because this is the end of Second Peter when now Peter is talking about Paul. And he says, by the way, Apostle Paul also said this. And so I'm going to say this as well. Okay, And I love that because he quotes Apostle Paul and it shows the unity of the Spirit, doesn't it? With Paul and Peter because, quite frankly, they were gifted very differently. But the same Holy Spirit, right? Some come to preach, some come to teach, like Second Corinthians says, right? But very differently. But but they wonderfully um, were walking in the unity of the Spirit. And quite frankly, they didn't always walk in the unity of the Spirit because back in Galatians, Paul had to um, uh, Paul had to publicly rebuke Peter for how he was living, uh, as you know, living, doing all these traditional things, okay, Gentile Jew stuff. And Paul's like, that's done with. You know, this is wrong. And he publicly called him out on it. Okay? But, but that's also unity. Right? That you take the word, what the word is, and you, it's to what? Rebuke. Right? Teach. Come alongside and everything. And Paul came alongside Peter and said this. And Peter learned from that. And now you can see what Peter is saying about Paul. Isn't that sweet? And so you can see the unity of the Spirit. Okay? And he talks about... Our beloved Paul, okay, and where, you know, some things are hard to understand that Paul is saying, I understand that, but some take it and they twist the scriptures. They take it and they twist it, all right? They take it and, and, and Peter's reminding us that the scriptures can then be twisted, can be um, used for their glory, Okay, used for almost like a self or vain glory, where you twist them to the point where you're taking it out of context and you're saying this because this is how you want it to read. Right? Because, you guys, the translations of the Bible are just that. They go back to the Hebrew and the Greek, okay, and they're just translations. Easier to understand, but they go back to the Hebrew and Greek, the original. They're translations. They're not interpretations. All right? They're not interpretations. They are the Word of God. Scripture interprets Scripture. Period. Always. Always. Like we're going to see in Daniel, there's always Scripture that interprets Scripture. It always goes back, always goes back, always goes back, always goes forward. Scripture interprets Scripture. That's how you read Scripture. You don't ever twist it. It always has to be in context because, like Stuart says, if it's not in context, right? Uh, go ahead. Yep. A text without a context is a con. Is a con. Is a con. So you always read it in the context of which it's written. So when it says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, many people take that totally out of context. Uh, to the point where they'll be like, well, I can stand in front of a Mack truck because God's strengthening me. I mean, really? I mean, you know, it, they, they take it out of context. And where Paul is coming from in Philippians writing this, he is in like the horrific situation. Horrific situation. And what he's saying is, he can do it all. As long as I forbear and give it over to him and surrender, I can do because he's doing it through me. Okay? It has to be in the context of it. And so, even though he said, Peter reminds us that scriptures can be twisted, he's telling, he's sharing about Paul and himself, that doesn't mean that we're not going to continue to teach biblical truth, because we are. Because that's where we're always going to stand. It's biblical truth. Am I responsible for you twisting that? No. But I am responsible to bring it to the Word of God. To always bring you back to the Word of God. That's why we're Bible study ladies, right? It's always the Word of God. It's always back to the Word of God, okay? And he, he mentioned um, 
the Bereans, okay? The Bereans searched the scripture all the time. In Acts 17.11, it says, The Bereans searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. That's why you have the word of God there. I love when Stuart used to say all the time, you know, only reason I'm sharing this, and I've got the word here, is because I want you to know that I know that there it is. Okay, so be in the word. Have it out. Make sure that what that person is teaching you corresponds to the word of God. Okay, because, you know, otherwise, you're just going to be sitting there perhaps taking candy from this person, and it's wrong. That's why you need to be in the Word yourself, okay? So, let me, let me end with um, this conclusion and, what's, and what Spurgeon said. I may just add that the verb twist, which the Apostle uses here, signifies to distort, to put on the rack, to torture, to overstretch and dislocate the limbs. This all comes from the Greek. That's when you twist the scripture. To distort, to put to the rack, that's stretch, right? To torture, to overstretch and dislocate the limbs. And hence the persons here intended are those who proceed according to no fair plan of interpretation, but force unnatural and sophistical meanings on the word of God. In other words, they're adding their stuff to it. Okay? That would be rather Pharisee-like, wouldn't it? They're adding their stuff to it. Okay? I remember, um, this is just a quick example, where one lady said to me when I was sharing with her, she said, but God wants me to be happy, and I'm not happy in my marriage. I said, you show me anywhere in the Word of God where it says God wants you to be happy. I said, you show me. I said, does he give you joy? Does he have this? Absolutely. Does he say there's going to be trouble? Yeah, is this, this? I said, but you show me where he wants to be happy. I said, the word of God tells you that you are to make him happy. Mm. Because I'm not happy in my marriage. See what she was doing? She heard from someone, somewhere along the line, that this is, and then therefore, since she's not happy, I'm going to blast out of my marriage because I'm not happy. Okay? That, that's what happens when you take scripture and you twist it because guess what she really wasn't happy in her marriage I mean that really was the truth but then she took this untruth and applied it to that that's called beguilement that's a little tiny bit of truth with a lot of emotion and that's what Satan did in, in, uh, in the Garden of Eden are you sure God didn't say not to eat right and that's what happens that's why you, you got to keep in the word because scripture interprets scripture So, he tells us at the end, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we can prevent a fall, ladies, because we are growing. If you're not growing, guess what? You're going to go backwards. And then you're going to fall. That's why when he ended 1 Peter, he said, stand in grace. Stand in grace. Where do you stand? You stand in grace, right? I mean, your faith is based on undeserved favor that Jesus did for you and took your sin. You stand in grace. He ends 2 Peter with saying, grow in grace. Grow in grace. So you stand in grace and you grow in grace. He doesn't say grace will grow. We're to grow in grace. Are you following me? Grace doesn't grow. Grace is always there. Grace is a word that continues. It's a... a, um, it's a continual verb, which, which is um, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Whenever you read grace anywhere, it's continual grace. You have grace for the moment, grace for this, grace for that, grace for that. Grace all the time. It's how you grow 
in the grace. He can't be anything else but because that's who he is. Okay? So it's, it's innate in him. But we can grow in his grace. We stand in his grace and we grow in his grace. And then you're not going to stumble. You're not going to fall. Because you realize that everything is from him, to him, and through him. That we are dependent creatures that absolutely stand in undeserved favor and grow in undeserved favor. And he says, and that's how you're to walk. So that you're ready, so that you are at the ready when Jesus returns. Right? It's the way we're to walk. It's the way we're to walk. And as we are, and as we are walking, um, he, he then says, okay... That steadfastness, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. Because as you're standing and growing in grace, as Joe Briscoe puts it, nothing and no one can touch you inside the will of God. And there you are. You're protected. You're protected, right? So read Second Peter again. Just, just get the whole glimpse of Second Peter again just this weekend. Just read the whole thing. And, and then we're going to start in Daniel. Uh, next week, we're going to start in Daniel 1. We're going to go through you know, the context. We're going to go through where it's happening. We're going to talk about Daniel. We're going to talk about other people in there. We're going to talk about uh, just, just, the, just how it's the, theme, the theme of it, how it's themed and, and how God's going to work in and through it. Um, so it'll be a, a kickoff on Daniel. So don't miss out on, on Daniel because it'll, it'll set the foundation of how we'll be studying Daniel. And then just be praying for me as I'm studying because it's so exciting uh, and that I will just rightly divide the word of truth because um, Daniel is, um, you know, apocalyptic at the end. And uh, scripture interprets scripture, so I'm only going to go, you know, with um, the scripture. So it'll be great. I mean, God already has that done. I just want you to pray 